So as we discussed last week, uh, we talked about Gnosticism uh, and the influence that it was having on Christians at that time. Um, and it was one of the major reasons why the Apostle John had such a great concern about what was, of course, being taught and the influence and the impact that it was having on Christians. And as we discussed, this was a major theme, uh, the deity of Christ uh, in his letters and his gospel account. Uh, the first four verses of 1 John provide, with, uh, provide us with powerful evidence that Jesus existed with God the Father from the beginning. It's the same Jesus uh, who came to earth as a man. John called, calls them, uh, he separates them, calls them Father, and he calls Jesus his Son. So the Lord was not just another child who was born to a Jewish family. Uh, that's what the Gnostics taught, right? They, they said he was just a man, um, but that he had been present from the beginning. Jehovah God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are one, and they are eternal. Um, and of course, they work together in creating the universe, including the world that we live in today. Uh, John talks about this a lot. The opening verses of his gospel account speaks to that. Um, now, tonight we're going to look at some of the evidence that, that John gives, and it's powerful because it comes from men who are eyewitnesses of Jesus and his ministry. And that's kind of the purpose of what John's opening statements here, um, to kind of give that, that evidence. So look at 1 John chapter 1, verse uh, 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. And John opens up his letter and he's telling the audience that would be reading these, I'm telling you these things from my own perspective, from my own witness. If you don't believe the things I'm saying, you are calling me a liar. And if you don't believe the things that I'm saying and you are calling me a liar, then Jesus is not who he says he was. And by making that kind of admonition, one would be denying Christ. But, as John says, he is writing these things so that their joy may be complete. We've heard that phrase before as well. So tonight we're going to look at um, three, of the, three of the things that, that John points out here related to their eyewitness. And the first one is that they heard the Lord. Verse 1, it says... From the beginning, which we have heard. And later uh, echoes that in verse 3 again. They heard the Lord. And we know, because we have the fullness of Scripture, right? We have the gospel accounts that they were eyewitnesses of Jesus. They were with him uh, during his entire earthly ministry. They were the eyewitnesses who heard firsthand <coughs> all that Jesus taught. Early in Jesus' ministry, he spoke words that the crowds and often the apostles themselves didn't comprehend. We've been talking about that a lot in our Wednesday night studies. But when they heard 
Jesus teach, they marveled at his knowledge and his authority. The Sermon on the Mount is a great example of this. It's one of the Lord's greatest recorded messages, and I'm sure all of the apostles were in awe over this message as they sat there at his feet and listened to him that day. The crowds who listened to the Sermon on the Mount were also astonished by the words that they heard. Matthew 7, verses 28 through 29 records, And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. This is coming from the crowds of people who had just stopped by that day to listen to Jesus speak, not just the apostles who had heard him speak like this several times, but they were a part of that crowd. They were a part of those people and thus would be um, grouped in to this statement that was made in Matthew, that they were astonished and viewed Jesus' teachings as authoritative. When the Bible speaks of hearing, the word hearing, it doesn't always mean what we do with our ears, right? In Matthew 13, Jesus spoke exclusively in parables. And when the disciples asked him why he did so, Jesus replied, This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. In their case, in the apostles' case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. Sometimes we can't hear because our ears are stopped up. In the physical sense, if you plug your ears, it's hard to hear things. Caleb wears earplugs when he swims because he can't stand water being in his ears. Um, but when he puts them in, I always do this to him. Of course, he could hear me if I actually said it. But, um, you know, that's the point of earplugs oftentimes is to block out sound. But when we think about this in the spiritual sense, <clears throat> that's what is happening with what Jesus is saying. When Jesus spoke to the people, there were some who were spiritually dull of hearing. They pre or this prevented them from, from hearing and, and accepting what Jesus had to say. Their spiritual ears were what needed cleansed. And oftentimes the things that got in the way of hearing the message were things like preconceived ideas, prejudice, or sin. Some people were taught error by well-meaning people. Maybe we were even taught error at one point in our life by well-meaning, well-intended people. And we trust those people, and as a consequence, it is only with great difficulty that we would have to come to accept a different explanation. And oftentimes it's that barrier, that difficulty, in which evangelism gets difficult, right? Because they were taught one thing, and now they're being taught another. Both well-meaning people, who's telling the truth? And ultimately, it's up to the person hearing to search the scriptures and find the truth. Learn the truth. And sometimes, the truth is obscured because we learned it from a trusted friend or a teacher. But ultimately, we must love the truth more than what any man teaches us. So the person who has healthy ears not only hears the message, but he understands it. The apostles heard Jesus teach over and over the, uh, you know, throughout the entire course of his ministry. And as they continued, their understanding grew incrementally. 
And the result was that they openly confessed their faith in him. In John chapter 6, verse 69, Peter said, We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So when we have ears to hear, we will believe what the Bible says about Jesus. And again, this is an encouragement to the audience that which John is writing, who have been influenced by Gnostic teachings that are teaching quite the opposite of what John is teaching them here. But nonetheless, it should be an encouragement to us as well. The second thing that John mentions is that they saw the Lord. Can you imagine the awesome things that the apostles got to see? I mean, we have some of them in Scripture, the miracles that Jesus performed. I would love, I've said it many times, this, uh, you know, the heavenly movie theater that shows these scenes from, from the Bible that we hear so much about so that we can actually see them and understand them, like Jesus walking on the water. I wanted to see what that looked like. I would love to have been there, but they got to see this. Not only did they get to see the wonderful things that he did, they got to see the, the wisdom um, that he had when he interacted with Jewish leaders. They got to see his compassion on those who were afflicted with various diseases. They saw him heal uh, the sick, cast out demons. They saw him raise the dead. They saw him feed hungry multitudes. They saw him seeking out quiet time so that he could spend time praying to his father. And during the 40 days between his resurrection and ascension, they saw Jesus Christ, who had been risen from the dead, many times. And that helped their belief. The apostles were with the Lord for his entire ministry. And even John said, not everything was recorded. We can only imagine how many miracles they saw him perform. No doubt, John marveled along with the other apostles when he saw Jesus' power to heal. They were amazed when they saw him calm the stormy sea. In fact, they are quoted in Matthew 8, 27, saying, What sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? The things John saw convinced him that Jesus was not just another prophet, that he was the Holy One of God, that he was the Son of God. And he proudly confessed that truth. And surely the apostles would never forget the day that Lazarus was brought back from the dead. If you ever get into that story, by the time Jesus and his disciples arrived in Bethany, Lazarus had been in the grave for four days. This process of bodily decay was already happening. It happens, it starts happening almost immediately. But four days in the grave. But Jesus brought him back to life perfectly whole. If you want to look into that deeper, it's John 11, starting in verse 38. But what they saw was very real, very eye-opening. They were eyewitnesses to this marvelous event. So they saw the evidence and they believed that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. Now, another thing that John says, it says in verse 1, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon. They looked upon the Lord. To look upon is different than to see. And the Greek word look upon, mean, every time I say that, every time I say that, what, if there was a, there's a movie, I feel like Don Knotts was in it, where he's on a, on a roof and he goes, look up here. Yeah, is, is it the Three Amigos? Is it? It's like the code word or something. It was like Butch Cassidy? No. It was like a 
spoof the for yes, that's it, the Apple Dumpling Gang. That was that was the uh, that was the code word. Well, the the code was more of a whoo whoo or caca. Yeah, and he wasn't getting it, and so he's going look up here, look up here. <laughs> look it up; it's good. Anyways, the the Greek word "look upon" means to contemplate earnestly, and there's this idea of desire or pleasure uh, in in how you're in how you're ve- viewing this thing to see with regard and admiration. So the word carries with it this idea of, of um, seeing something something in order to examine it. Um, probably something that scientists do when they see something with their eyes. You know, they're studying a single-cell organism or something like that. They, they can see it with their eyes, but they're looking upon it to investigate it, to examine it, that sort of thing. And so it's much more than just a casual glance, Right. Um, Thayer's dictionary says that the word means to learn by looking. I like that. I like that uh, explanation of it. So for John to look upon Jesus meant that he had to look beneath the surface in order to confirm the truth about Jesus's identity. He had to. Uh, he and the other apostles uh, they made a full investigation of the facts by the process of examination by viewing all that Jesus did. So they came to know who he was, not just what he looked like. Not just the things that he did, but who he was. So when Jesus asked the question in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, Who do people say the Son of Man is? Peter replied with a conviction about Jesus that was held by all the apostles. And in verse 16 he says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Peter also said of Jesus in Acts chapter 2 as he addressed the crowd at Pentecost, he said, Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. The crowds looked upon Peter in this confession that he was making, this eyewitness testimony that he was given, and after he said that final line, they were cut to the heart. And asked, what then shall we do? See, the crowds at Pentecost believed what Peter was saying. Because they knew Peter was an eyewitness to the Lord. And of course, the other miraculous things that were going on at the time as well. When Jesus said that he was the Son of God, those who heard him knew that he was claiming equality with God. To look upon means to investigate thoroughly. When we do the same, we look upon the word of God, we will believe that Jesus is the son of God because that's what scripture teaches us. Next week, uh, we'll continue in this. We'll wrap up this section here. Um, We're going to keep looking at the apostles' eyewitness testimony and uh, why John says it's sufficient to prove that Jesus was the son of God because basically what he's saying is because we say so, because we were there. And we see it, we saw it, we looked upon it. Next week we'll look at um, the fact that they touched Jesus. And we'll look at some other um, examples of proof of Christ's deity. Um, I don't know if you've noticed or not, but... uh, The latter portions of the Bible are all filled with John's writings. 
Yeah, first, second, and third John. You have Revelation. Um, John was the longest living apostle, according to what historians have documented. He got to see a lot more of what happened after Jesus died than any other apostle did. And there are some who don't take things that John wrote to heart very much. Um, I, don't know, I don't know why. There are some who just stick to the Gospels. There are some that um, just stick to the Gospels and Paul's writings and ignore everything else. Um, but I think there are some very important truths uh, that can be found in all of John's writings. And of course, if we're going through the book of Revelation uh, in the mornings, of course, there's a lot to be gleaned there as well. Um, so as with any time that we gather together, we want to make, uh, make the opportunity available for anyone who may have a need that we can assist with, be it through prayer or study. Uh, of course, we also uh, want to offer up the opportunity for baptism. If you've not yet been baptized for the remission of your sins, that opportunity is available to you. And if we can help you with that, why don't you come forward now while we stand and sing.